So it's our final week of Kingdom Kids. We've looked at what it means to have childlike dependence, how a faithfulness as a child leads to a faith-filled life, that, that we are called to this childlike wonder and belief. And last week, Pastor Curry brought a powerful message about raising kingdom kids into kingdom leaders. And today's our final week, and we're looking at the ultimate kingdom kid, Jesus Christ. You ever just think about Jesus as a kid? You ever just sit there and ponder what home life was like? You ever read the book of James written by Jesus's younger brother and think, oh man, what must have that been like? We don't get much about Jesus's upbringing. That is purposeful. That is intentional. But we're not left completely hanging. We have this fascinating passage found in Luke chapter 2, and that's our passage today. So that's what we're going to look at. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, or you can look on screen. But I I love it when you engage with the scriptures in your hands. There's some power in doing that. Uh, Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at 39 through 52. Luke chapter 2. So what you need to know is that Jesus was born— And then eight days later, he was presented at the temple, and he was circumcised and given his name, Jesus. And then we read this. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Now every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to custom. Now after that festival was over, while his parents were returning home, The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Now everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So then he went down to Nazareth. Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We thank God for the reading of his true word. 
lost Jesus. Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Parents, grandparents, caregivers, babysitters, have you ever lost a kid? I love your bravery and your honesty. Kids, any of your parents not raise your hand, but you have been lost with your parents before? (laughs) Call them out, yeah. Oh, man. Just the other day, two days ago, we were at friend's house, and Meg went inside the house. You're on the back porch. Meg went inside through the screen door, and Daisy lost it because she thought mom was gone, right? She is pounding and screaming and banging on the screen door. I don't know why she—I mean, I was right there, but I'm not mom, so that's all right. I want us to be kind to Mary and Joseph, because this isn't really about their incompetence at all, actually. First, think about this reality. God chose Mary. You see the birth of Christ earlier in Luke 2, and you see how Mary treasured up within her heart the birth of that son. She took her responsibility of mothering and caring for Jesus very seriously. God chose her to carry and raise the Savior of the world. God knew Mary. God trusted Mary. This is not a story of Mary and Joseph's incompetence. And in fact, what you see in the text, they speak very highly of Mary and Joseph. It says at the beginning that they have done everything required by the law of the Lord. Have you read the law of the Lord? It's extensive. They have done everything by the law of the Lord. And we see that Jesus, he grew and he became strong. Not just physically strong, being provided for his physical means, which is evident that was happening, but also with wisdom. His parents had to have a little something to do with that. And then it says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. It's not about their incompetence. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus, once again, is up to something. I really appreciate in this text, in that passage about going up to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, that they say every year, not Mary and Joseph, every year Jesus' parents take him up to the festival. The ones that were entrusted to care for him. It intentionally refers to that, which is important because with a simplistic reading of this passage, you could get to later when Jesus says, don't you know I'm supposed to be in my big F father's house as a slight to his dad, Joseph? But I don't believe it is. I don't believe it is. We'll talk more about that. They had done everything they could to try and raise Jesus right. Now, they had to travel from Nazareth, to Jerusalem. That's about 85 to 90 miles. That is not a day trip, okay? Uh, When you're walking, that is a multiple day journey. And as you know, they would travel by walking often, maybe with some animals, but often by walking in caravan. So they'd be going with family, they'd be going with friends, they'd be going with people from their town and neighboring towns. There was safety in numbers. There was a lot of good things that happened by traveling in caravans. So kids, can you imagine having to walk somewhere all day? So like a day if your parents just decided to protest and said, I am done driving you everywhere, 
You have to walk. So imagine they wanted to take you to the zoo. He said, that's great. We're going to go to Binder Park Zoo. Takes about 40 minutes or so to get there in a car. It will take you all day to walk there. And then imagine walking all the way to the zoo and they, they stayed open late for you. And then you walk all around the zoo and your legs are just turned into rubber bands, right? And then what do you have to do? You got to turn around and walk all the way back. That's what it was like in Jesus' day. Now, the moms and the women and the younger kids would often travel in the front of the caravan with the men and the young men in the back, okay? Uh, Now, Jesus was 12 years old. That's an important distinction that he is 12. In Jewish tradition, he was on the brink of what they considered manhood. That comes at 13. That is what what now it translates into like a bar mitzvah now, when, when a Jewish boy becomes a man. The rituals were a little different, but the idea is the same. Uh, And so he was on the brink of being considered a man. So it's likely that Joseph thought, well, he's not yet 13, so he could very well be traveling with the young kids with Mary like he's done all years past. Likewise, Mary could be thinking, hey, he could be traveling with Joseph and the men in the back because he's almost there and they want to give him this experience. So, so it's not an incompetence thing. It's simply they, they thought he was probably with someone else or just with the other family and friends that were traveling. And this little glimpse, what I appreciate about it is that if Jesus had been an irresponsible child, his parents would never have gone a whole day without knowing his whereabouts. You guys know that, right? You, if you've had kids or you've seen kids, it's like, it's that one that you make sure is always right by you, right? And when they, you lose sight of them, game over. You know what I'm talking about. That's not Jesus. He, they could have gone a whole day. They trusted him. They knew he had good judgment. I mean, it's Jesus, but there you go. And so it suggests that, again, Jesus' motive for staying in Jerusalem this wasn't, wasn't a careless thing. This wasn't a disrespectful thing. He had something else in mind. So after traveling all day, the caravan would gather and family would tend to gather together around for food and conversation. And it was likely at this point in time when Mary and Joseph would discover that Jesus is missing. That's at the end of a day of travel. They're exhausted. Night is setting in. You don't travel at night in the ancient Middle East. Especially if you're alone. So they likely had to wait until morning. Do you think they slept well? No. And then, as early as is safe, they get up and they head back to Jerusalem. Likely not sleeping. Likely physically and mentally completely exhausted. Do you know that feeling when you are anxious, how slow time goes? Imagine Mary and Joseph. They couldn't text him. They couldn't call him. Couldn't check his location on one of those apps. So like life 20 years ago, right? (laughs) They're just frantically worrying about their son. They hurry back to Jerusalem. They make it back. They're calling out his name. The entire journey back, they are looking the horizon. Jesus, Jesus, where are you? They're exhausted. When they finally make it to Jerusalem, they search through the city. They look 
everywhere. The text is not clear on what it means they search for three days. It could have been their, their, their walk away, their recognition that Jesus was gone, their walk back, and then their walk through Jerusalem the whole day. Okay, we don't know. It could be that. It could be they're searching the city for three days, which is a little alarming. It was a, it was a sizable city, but not a three days walk city, if you know what I'm saying. We don't know the specifics. But either way, they looked for a very long time. That's what we need to know. And once they're about at their very end, they decide to go to the temple. Now, another thing the text doesn't specify Did they go to the temple to search for Jesus, or were they so at their end, they went to the temple to pray? I don't know. There's probably a bit of both. So they go to the temple, and of course, the very last place they looked, the last place they expect, there is Jesus. And doesn't Jesus still do that today? Doesn't he show up in the most unexpected place? In the midst of our pain? In the midst of our longing? When we feel like we're at the end of our rope? And then somehow, Jesus shows up. It might be unexpected from our perspective, but really, it's just... It's the right place. He comes at the right time in the right place. So Mary and Joseph must have been worried sick. Kids, have you heard your parents say, I was worried sick? They always emphasize the sick, right? I was worried sick. They were really worried sick. Stressed out of their minds, very little sleep, very little food, probably both have pounding headaches, sore feet and legs and body, worried Jesus had been kidnapped or worse. This is the son they love. They also know this is God's son whom he loves, and he entrusted Jesus to their care. And what do you know? They find Jesus sitting amongst what would basically be considered the religious elite, like the VIPs, the bigwigs. I'm talking like the Pope, Martin Luther, and the Curry Pickarts of the world, okay? That's what I'm talking about. And he is sitting there engaging with them in theological dialogue. One, how cool of them to engage a child. Second, how cool it is for Jesus to engage them. This is something the vast majority of folks would not even think of doing, let alone actually be equipped to do. And here's a 12-year-old doing so. And can't you just picture the scene? Mary and Joseph's look of disbelief, astonishment, as the text says, confusion, and relief. And 12-year-old Jesus finishes his thought and looks up, Shalom! (laughs) You can imagine Mary and Joseph's emotions in that moment. And then Mary goes on and she says, we were anxiously searching for you. The Greek word used for anxiously, it is, it is, it's not just like, I'm anxious about my test tomorrow. It is, it means to cause grief, sorrow, and torment. It is an unusually strong word to describe anxiety. (laughs) Okay, they were tormented as they were searching for him. And then you can sense kind of that, that question, why have you treated us like this? And Jesus' answer, if it was anyone but Jesus, 
If it was anyone but Jesus, you would think this kid, man, just a rude little know-it-all. But this is Jesus. And Jesus says, most astonishingly, why were you searching for me? Because um, you're 12? Because we lost you? Because you never showed up at the end of the travel day? Because you weren't where you were supposed to be? What do you mean, why were we searching for you? But that's not, I believe, why Jesus asks the question. I think it's a little bit more, when you noticed I wasn't with you, why did it take you a day looking around Jerusalem instead of coming where you knew I ought to be? And I don't know about you, but I have echoes of after Jesus' resurrection of the angel saying, why are you searching for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Why would you look anywhere else? And then Jesus says the most amazing thing. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's such an amazing moment. I don't see it as a slight to Joseph, no. But consider this moment, 12 years old, years before his ministry, about 18 years before his ministry. And in the trusted company of his earthly parents, he claims himself as the son of the father. Jesus loved and trusted his parents to proclaim this all these years before he publicly begins his ministry. And if you remember, when he publicly begins his ministry, after he would heal someone, after he'd cast out a demon, what would he say? Do not say who I am. Do not say I'm the Son of God. Go, but do not tell others. They told anyway. But he had a purpose in mind, but he loved and trusted his parents enough to share this with them. Now, the fact Mary and Joseph did not understand shouldn't be surprising if you've read the rest of the Gospels because Jesus did things that were so completely out—we we can't even fathom it, right? It just doesn't compute. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. And even though Mary and Joseph had already been quite close to the miraculous of God— uh, even still, they didn't understand. Much like the disciples later, even after all the miracles and all the teachings, still didn't always understand. What it really does is signify the awesome mystery of Jesus' identity and his divinity. Immediately after this, following this claim, the text assures us he's not being disrespectful. No. He had also perfect humanity. He was perfectly obedient to his parents. And just as Mary treasured up all these things in her heart at the birth of Jesus, once again the text says that she treasured up all of these things in her heart. She reflected inwardly on the significance of it all. For those paying attention with Samuel last week, much like Jesus, says Jesus matures into a person both God and men approve, which persists to this day. Many people have a hard time with Christianity. Very few have a problem with Jesus. They may not follow him, 
but they like something about him. I cut out two and a half pages of my message this morning. I'm going to put it on a video for you this week because it's, a, it's an aside. But I'll give you this teaser. If Jesus is fully God, why is he sitting learning with and amongst the teachers? And that's a fun conversation about the mystery and the divinity of God. God is all-knowing. Shouldn't Jesus be all-knowing? What's going on here? I'll put a video out this week. Does that sound good? Cool. I love it when you comment on my videos, by the way. I don't need affirmation. I just like to know you're watching. All right. You want to be a kingdom kid? Follow Jesus. You hang around church long enough, and there's a lot of very important, helpful things to learn. Deep doctrine, you have to know and contend for the true interpretation of God's word. You have to wrestle for these things. You have to contend and constantly be growing. We learn that in God's word. But at the very heart of our faith, it's actually rather simple. So follow Jesus. Now, is that simple to do? No. But you want to be a kingdom kid? You follow Jesus. He's the blueprint. He is the way. He's also with us. Like Jesus sitting here in the temple, we as kingdom kids, and I'm talking not just the young kingdom kids, all of us as kingdom kids, we're called to, to, to seek out teachers to sit in their midst. We're called to listen. We're called to ask questions. We're called to not just receive and ask questions, but to participate and engage and give answers. Like Jesus, to know and love the scriptures. And then to live it out. In other words, to be a kingdom kid means to embrace an active faith. Not a passive faith where things just come to us or we just show up at church and that's it, whatever Kevin had. If I'm your sole responsibility for your spiritual formation, I need to apologize because I'm going to do a bad job. But that's because it's not how it's designed to be. I'm a piece of the puzzle in your own faith formation. You have to own it and do it yourself. I love coming alongside of you, but I can't do it for you. And this is the beauty we do not need to frantically search for Jesus with torment in our hearts because he, he, he is revealed to us in his word. He is alive. He is available to us. He is present with us right now. Kids, I want to talk to you for a second. This book is no ordinary book. This is the real deal, the living and active word of the God who created you, the God who created the stars, the universe, whatever your favorite thing in the world is, the God who created that. He, this is his word. It teaches us about him. It reveals him to us. It, 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 it's so powerful and magical in the spiritual sense. <laughs> As we read it, the spirit does something within us that encourages us to be more like Jesus. It is true. It is not a bunch of made-up stories. 
These are real people with a very real God. My longing, my prayer, along with all of us here for you, is to come to know and love this word. Come to know and love it. We will do what we can to equip you to come to love it and to know it. But you need to come on your own to own it for yourself, to read it and love it and know it. That's our longing for you to know God, for you to love God, for you to live for God, and to have a love for his church. That's why I'm so encouraged when I see you kiddos in church. Kids, you gotta be in church. It is way too hard out there. It is way too dicey. Make church, make your faith a priority. If that means you gotta drag your parents in here, you do it. All right? And we get it, parents. I'm one of them, and my kid is just going into first grade, my oldest, and the amount of things already vying for all our attention and time, it's not black and white. It is incredibly complex and hard. Man, is it ever. We want the best for our kids, but really, when it comes down to it, the sacrifice required, the determination, the hard conversations are worth it because nothing matters more for our kids than raising them up in the faith. And parents, all of us, and grandparents and caregivers, we need to be in church too and engaged and present and and pressing in, not just showing up, and I'm not suggesting you are, but not just showing up to, to, to be entertained in any way, but to participate in glorifying God and being recalibrated to his way and his walk again. It is way too hard to travel through this life alone. Way too hard. Discipling our children, while also making sure we are being discipled in our own way, it's the most important work in front of us right here and now. And we have the privilege, the honor of supporting one another in this journey. Don't go about it alone. Don't go about it alone. I have a book here. This is actually a a book I got for you, Steph. So I didn't underline in it yet, but I'll give it to you after service. It's called uh, 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. I got three pages in, and I have to share this with you because it falls in line. There is a Harvard professor of, oh, Mike, you'll have to say this word for me, epidemiology, studying of epidemics. Tyler Vanderweel, he summarized some key findings in this book. Children who were raised in a religious or spiritual environment were better protected from the big three dangers of adolescence, depression, drugs, and risky sexual behaviors. Those who attended religious services regularly were subsequently 12% less likely to have high depressive symptoms and 33% less likely to use illicit drugs. Those who prayed frequently were 30% less likely to start having sexual relations at a young age and 40% less likely to have STD. Moreover, children with a religious upbringing were also more likely to subsequently have higher levels of happiness, a sense of purpose, of volunteering, and forgiveness of others. 
Those are just fancy words and statistics to say what anyone who has embraced their faith already knows. But the stakes are high, and I as a parent, we share our desire for that for our kids. But it takes discipline. It takes sacrifice. It takes surrender, much like Jesus Christ. But the beauty is, God is at work. God is alive. God is our Father. This is his house, and he has called each of us to be his kingdom kid. We need not search far for him. He asks us, seek, seek first the kingdom of God. I'm right here. Seek his kingdom. Live into it. Do the things I've instructed you and shown you to do. I am right here. Behold me. Walk with me. Seek first the kingdom, not the hobbies, the, 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 the clubs, the achievements of the world. All good things, but not if they are in place of the most important thing. Behold him. Behold him and come seek his kingdom and follow the king. Be in his father's house. Be about the father's business. Give every opportunity for us to grow in faith, for our kids to grow in knowledge and love for our Savior. That is our prayer. That is our longing for every one of us to be a kingdom kid, a kingdom kid that is seeking Jesus, that seeks Jesus Monday through Saturday and seeks Jesus as part of his faith family. Seek him in your parents' house and in your father's house. Seek him in his word. Seek him in prayer. Seek him above all else. For to seek him is to seek his kingdom. And we are children of the king. We are all kingdom kids. So may we do what kingdom kids do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for showing us how you call us to live. And God, we confess and we admit the waters get murky very quickly as we try and navigate this life. And God, we are longing to do the best we can to follow you. We are longing to do the best we can to raise up our children to know and love you, but it is hard. So by the power of your Spirit, may you bring clarity in the midst of the fog. And as we read your word, we are assured that clarity comes. So give us the tools and the faith to follow you. Lord, we know and we believe that our hope alone is found in you. Because if you can conquer death, you can do anything. So we submit ourselves once more to you. Have your way with us. May your name be honored and glorified, not just with our words, but with our lives. We proclaim we are your children. We want to be about your business. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.